0: come to the last section uh, in this chapter and this is entitled mere awareness and clinging to nothing as the refrain stipulates awareness of the body feelings mind and dhammas should take place merely for the sake of knowledge and continued mindfulness so This is the uh, part of the refrain that is uh, the theme of this whole chapter. And the Sutta says, uh, Mindfulness that there is a body, quote unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. This instruction points to the need to observe objectively without getting lost in associations and reactions. According to the commentaries, this refers in particular to avoiding any form of identification. Freedom from identification then enables one to regard any aspect of one's subjective experience as a mere phenomenon, free from any type of self-image or attachment. This is um, uh, the the last part of the refrain, um, and uh, (coughs) this Passage about uh, uh, say in a way summing up the instruction of how to to work with each of the satipatthanas the uh, frames of reference or the these um, foundations of mindfulness and uh, <coughs> uh, it sums it up in terms of, of this phrase mindfulness of there is a body quote unquote is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness so it's um, <coughs> and then that um, uh, point that he's making here about identification is that there is a body rather than this is my body or um, this is uh, the, here is a feeling of excitement rather than I'm excited or this is a this is a a, 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 a cold uh, a feeling of cold from the wind rather than I'm cold so that that um, in that that's a um, uh, clarifying of what the experience is and, and naming that uh, as he says um, uh, freedom from identification then enable enables one to regard any aspect of one's subjective experience as a mere phenomenon free from any type of self-image or attachment so uh, lumpur Sumedho's, um very regular encouragement just to um, to see you know this is the way it is is a part of that same Kind of um, clear knowing and clear recognition, <clears throat> and uh, or other phrases um, you know, of his like you know it's like this. There's a, somebody sent me a photograph of him. They made a beautiful uh, engraved board for him to to uh, hang up at his kuti at Ratna, and that just says it's like this <laughs> in some large gold letters. Uh, and so this, uh, this kind of reflection, this is the way it is, um, uh, which was a title of one of the books of his teachings many years ago, uh, uh, this is the way it is, it's, uh, it's like this, uh, <clears throat> and one, again one of Nampo's, uh, um, uh, one of those statements he made during a Dhamma talk, he, uh, he, he kind of paused for a moment and said, it's never been more like this than it is. <coughs> So uh, it's also it's interesting that uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, who like uh, Ajahn Chah, was very anti superstition and didn't like um, the many of the the sort of customs and the sort of folklore around um, astrology or predictions or um, protective charms, amulets, and such like and would never, uh, would never give those out or, or make much of that, that side and uh, thought that as something that was a, um, a bit of a waste of time. Ajahn Buddha Dasa said that actually there is one amulet that's really useful. There is one, one amulet that will really protect you, that is absolutely guaranteed and it's extremely powerful. Uh, and on this amulet there are, written, there, there are written the words, Pen Yang Ni Eng. It's like this. Well, this is the way it is. Pinyang ni eng and uh, this is the way it is. So that amulet is really, really useful, because at any moment, all you have to do is read the words or remember what they say, and then it'll help you to be awake to the to the present moment. So, it was, and so he had a very, very similar attitude to, uh, in that way to to Ajahn Chah, and this this last little phrase of the um, of the refrain, I feel, carries the same kind of meaning that same kind of spirit. It's like this. This is the way it is uh, <clears throat> that uh, in this moment there there's just enough uh, 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 noting or clarification of the, the present experience. This is a cold feeling or this is hearing a sound or this is a feeling of satisfaction, or a feeling of, of dread or regret or excitement, whatever it might be. Uh, and it's like this. And, of course, it's it's still never been more like this than it is. (laughs) I didn't wane just because Lampor got to the end of his Dhamma talk ten years ago. The way this instruction is phrased suggests the use of mental labeling. Mindfulness is established that, quote, there is a body, unquote, also feelings, mind and dumbness, The Pali participle itti, used here, um, in the the Pali uh, of that phrase, um, indicates direct speech, which in the present context suggests a form of mental noting. So it's it's like when it uses the phrase, uh, mindfulness that there is a body, it's it's prefaced by the, the little participle itti so that means that's a like a direct statement uh, it's it's like a, you'd use that for direct speech and so that uh, it's a uh, to indicate that you're saying that to yourself you know there is a body uh, and so that's why he's saying it indicates or suggests there's a mental labeling uh, that is being encouraged this is in fact not the only instance of this kind of recommendation in the satipatthana sutta Most of the instructions in the discourse use direct speech to formulate what is to be known. Uh, For example, he knows I breathe in long, he knows I am walking, Uh, he knows I feel a pleasant feeling, he knows lustful mind to be lustful, he knows there is sensual desire in me, he knows there is a mindfulness awakening factor in me, he knows as it really is, there is dukkha, such and such. So each of those is a... a, um, uh, in, uh, formed in the structure of direct speech. So it's uh, again suggesting that sense of, of labeling and naming the experience of oh this is a, a lustful feeling or this is um, a, uh, a experience of doubt or this is the, the mindfulness uh, uh, factor of awakening that's, that's present. This way of presentation shows that concepts especially when used as labeling tools for the purpose of mental noting, can be skillfully employed within the context of Satipatthana. And so this also harks back to, um, let see, where's Andreas today? There he is. Heidi, you're on a chair today. <laughs> uh, about the, uh, the role of conceptual thought and, uh, and its significance. So this whole little piece here is, is in reference to that. How that works and how it's used. Thus, the practice of satipatthana does not require a complete relinquishment of all forms of verbal knowledge. In fact, concepts are intrinsically related to cognition, sannya, which is his rendering for sanya. Usually, it's rendered as perception, since the ability to recognize and understand relies on a subtle level. Of mental verbalization and thereby on the use of concepts so other people would um, um, say uh, possibly dispute that that the sanya uh, is the mental function of uh, recognizing the the experience say this is a blue color or this is a brown color you know this is a um, uh, a sound of a, of a word And then it's the vitaka that comes in after uh, that, uh, so that the the visual uh, consciousness uh, is aware and designates the blue color or the brown color, uh, the white color, and then the vitaka, the the conceptual thought comes in and says white, blue, brown, uh, and and names it. So uh, not everyone would. Would would uh, say render sanya in exactly the same way, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I it, it it's still a fair point that he's making because there is that um, designation of of the experience that that is happening and the the vitaka or the thinking that sort of the naming of it even if it's not spelled out like we 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 can see the carpet without thinking the word blue. <laughs> Uh, And and we we can see the carpet, we can know what the color is according to our experience without uh, saying, that's a blue carpet. Uh, But um, he's saying there's a subtle naming that's going on, even if it's not voiced uh, internally. The skillful use of labeling during Satipatthana contemplation can help to strengthen clear recognition and understanding. At the same time, labeling introduces a healthy degree of inner detachment since the act of apostrophizing one's moods and emotions diminishes one's identification with them. So even to English speaking, for for those for whom English is your first language, our first language, the word apostrophizing is not a common word, but it's very uh, appropriate. It means uh, the, the same as when we go, in you know, we, we would say uh, this feeling. Uh, it's like putting uh, quote marks around a um, uh, an experience, so that when you name something as this is uh, the experience of of um, a Friday evening, that. Uh, he, um, that kind of labeling, he's saying that's apostrophizing, or this is a feeling of confusion, or this is a feeling of uh, understanding, this is an experience of doubt, or this is the experience of of, uh, of inspiration. That that uh, he's saying he's using the word apostrophizing to refer to that uh, sort of clear naming and and putting the the experience sort of in, into apostrophes. This is the feeling of doubt. Yeah, this is what this is. So by putting it into into quote marks, into apostrophes, then it, it sort of highlights it from um, the, the field of experience. And as he says, uh, the act of apostrophizing one's moods and emotions diminishes one's identification with them. So I, I feel even though it's, a, it's an unusual word, it's really uh, a very appropriate, and, uh, and and, because, and it's uh, uh, describing really uh, very clearly what happens when you say, because in that moment I say, oh, this is the feeling of doubt. At that moment it's being known as an experience rather than I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in a doubt. I've got, to, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, you're, the, you've become that, you're in that, you are that in that moment. But then to say, oh, this is the feeling of doubting. Oh, this is suffering, this is, I'm stuck with something that I don't want. Association with the disliked is dukkha. Oh, that's what this is. So that, that in that very apostrophizing, as it's sort of that naming or clarifying, oh, this is the experience of, of dukkha, this is the experience of, of inspiration or doubt. This is the, the satisfaction of getting what I wanted. It feels like this, that um, <coughs> that very act of clarifying it um, then creates a kind of dis- What I, I like to call a disentanglement. There's a uh, a, a skillful letting go, a non-identification. So the the quality is still there. Maybe there's still a question in the mind, or there's still the mood. Uh, but the 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 identification within, an "I am this, this is me, this is mine, this is what I am." That's been dropped, And this, oh, this is the mood of excitement, or this is the mood of fear, or this is the feeling of cold, or this is the um, feeling of hunger. You know, uh, and so that uh, the um, that uh, this being the end part of the refrain, uh, and that or what to do with each of the satipatthanas is, um, uh, it's it's not saying that the the, yeah, the labelling process sort of uh, guarantees that, but in a way it's helping to clarify that, that process of having brought attention to this moment and noticing what's there, then that quality of naming has a, a, an ability to, if it's used skillfully, to, uh, to catalyze, to help uh, bring about that um, disentangling, that letting go, and understanding oh this is just a state or this feeling of hunger it's just a feeling the mind takes this feeling and says hunger put something in the stomach and this will go away that's what that does (laughs) oh but it's actually just this particular pattern of experience and my mind calls it hunger and it says find something to eat (laughs) consume as soon as possible um but it's just in itself it's just this feeling. Oh. And so then that uh, you can still respond to it in various appropriate ways, but it's no longer something that the mind is absorbed into and identified with I have some Yes. I think yeah. that's your question. Um but does does looking at the the act of or anything in this instance also so when you name something, that's when you give it existence, so you make it, make mm-hmm. it into a thing. So, is that not a necessary part of Satipatthana? Because if you leave everything completely abstract, you can't examine it in the way that's suggested, because you're just left with a mass of stuff, if <laughs> you <laughs> um, and, and you're actually doing quite a quite a precise analysis of the second mm-hmm. particularly when you come to the, the final part. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing, but it's, it's it relates very closely to that kind of practice that Lumpur Sumedho would often encourage, like conscious thinking. And so if um, if I'm upset with you, I have a passing thought, oh, oh Sister Tisara, she's done it again. And so then, if I catch that thought, not that I would ever think that, (laughs) just imagining. So, oh, so then you catch that thought, and then so the kind of practice that Lumpur would suggest is that rather than, than just ignoring that, or suppressing it, or feeling bad about having had that thought, or believing in it, you catch that and then repeat it, say, that sister Tisara, she's so awful, I can't believe she did that. If she was different, I would be happy, and that as soon as you sort of, you catch it and you replay it in full consciousness, you say, okay, because if, if those kind of thoughts are sort of off at the edges in the, in the wings and they have a lot of power, if you get them front center and put the lamps on, say, like, okay, speak to me, say it again, if she was different, I would be happy, and my experience is that you can't even get, to, you can never get to the end of the sentence before it collapses, it's like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> The whole world would be perfect if if this person was different, or if you got rid of A, or if you had B, and uh, and so that is a mysterious way. By, by amplifying it, you disempower it, and that that's why I see that that uh, that they the the labeling process it's also you can become a you can become a compulsive labeler. And, and some meditation um, guidance, it emphasizes that to such a degree that you just turn into a sort of a, la- a labeling device, <laughs> thinking, feeling, walking, walking, and it's, you just become an adept labeler, like one of those kind of machines that you, t- you, ty- you type out the, the name, and you stick it on and you, you become good at labeling, but it's not, it's not um, being used for the purpose for which it's intended. Because it's 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 precisely that you you highlight it not just to to kind of record what's happening but to uh, to clarify what the, the experience is and to facilitate the non-identification the, that that letting go and and sort of by that naming and rather than just being that sort of a, 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 not just a blur of experience but even a, a labelled flow of experience but that, that sense of uh, This isn't who and what I am. This doesn't have an owner. Any other questions? Yes, Sister. Talking about that, you know, this thing I found that it's like that. If you catch something like that, because that's what leads to Sanya and then create a view of the future. That's what I feel sometimes. Once we a bank of such things. They such things being what? Having thoughts like that. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they become the future. They're creating a future. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that, that way I find it helpful. I don't know to decorative labeling or whatever, but examining it in that way, it helps. That's what I Yes, yeah, trem- I find it's uh, tremendously useful. And uh, so it's one of those ex- very, very. Um, uh, beneficial sort of me- approaches to meditation that uh, you know, the Bosomato passed on over the years and that you have to be quick on your feet to sort of, to, to catch it but if you know if there are particular patterns you know, <laughs> you know that your mind is always getting excited by this or complaining about that or you know, worried about this <clears throat> just that catching that, that assumption and say I don't know what's going to happen that's bad. And then to be to be able to recognise well, why why is it bad? That I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, <laughs> so you have to be quick on your feet to, to catch those because often those habits are very deeply ingrained. Uh, but the more that they can be recognised and then to catch them and then to replay them, uh, it's it's why, it's why they have bright lights in. Um, like McDonald's restaurants, so that people won't stay long. You know, it's, it, they, you feel awkward and uncomfortable in the with hard seats and bright lights. You don't want to to sort of linger around. You 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 eat your food and you get out. <laughs> so it's like turning the lights on and making it uncomfortable for those those judgments. So like, uh, I I don't know what to do, or that uh, he's really unkind, or um, or oh, what do they think about me, or what should I do with my life and they uh, they they flourish in the dark like in the dim light <laughs> they can they can sit around for hours and uh, and have a good time in the dim light but if you turn the lamps up then they they lose their strength but it goes on to this um the aspect of views from uh, from there According to the Buddha's survey of wrong views in the Brahmajala Sutta, which is a list of 62 different kinds of wrong views, uh, misinterpretations of reality can often be based on meditative experiences, not only on theoretical speculation. So say, for example, uh, wrong view, uh, you might have, like we were talking about, um, profound experiences in meditation, so that maybe you have a um, very powerful meditation experience, your mind gets very bright and radiant and you have a sense of of being wide awake and understanding everything. If the mind grasps that and identifies with it, then you can have the thought, well, I'm an Arahant now. And 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 being an Arahant means thinking like I do. So that would be uh, one of the kinds of of wrong view is that uh, grasping a, a, a wholesome experience and so um, the, there's a, a, a series of, of, of qualities called the vipassana upakilesa, the, the defilements of insight. And they're things like unremitting mindfulness, all-encompassing knowledge, uh, unremitting energy. You think, well, that sounds good. <laughs> but they're kilesa, they're defilements, because they're, they're sort of out of balance and the, the mind is identified with them and turning in, into a, 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 a me and mine. And so that they uh, they cause, uh, in due course, all kinds of, of dukkha and disharmony. So when he says that uh, misinterpretations of reality can often be based on meditative experiences, not only on theoretical speculation. So that is uh, that is worth having a look at, the 62 kinds of wrong view in the Brahmajala Sutta, um, and uh, also. I'm am a big fan of the um, in the the uh, last part of the Shurangama Sutra, which is a, a Chinese tradition sutra. You don't find it in the Pali Canon, but the the last section of it is called the fifty Skanda demon states. And so, for each of the five kundas, you have ten um, ten sets of meditate ten uh, a set of ten meditation problems or, or uh, issues that can arise. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, the last two sections on sankara and vinyana on um, let's say that the last 20 of those 50 kinds there are uh, most of them are based on very refined meditation experiences or or just the kind of problems that uh, a stream enterer or a, a once returner or a non returner can experience through you know, grasping and uh, taking hold of of uh, wholesome states in in unskillful ways. To prevent such misinterpretations, a firm acquaintance with the Dhamma is an important factor for proper progress along the meditative path. In one instance, the Buddha compared such sound knowledge of the Dhamma to the armory of swords and spears to be used to defend a fortress, bearing in mind that the Buddha was a soldier before he was a monk, so you get... Lots of um, military analogies. Clearly, for the Buddha, the mere absence of concepts does not constitute the final goal of meditation practice. Concepts are not the problem; the problem is how concepts are used. An arahant still implies concepts, yet without being bound by them. So, and that's uh, referred to in the uh, Itivuttaka, Sutta number 53 in the refers uh, to that. So again, that goes back to some of the discussion we were having about um, concepts um, and uh, conceptual thought and its, its role. Uh, so uh, often times, uh, uh, it's, it's very common uh, now that people feel like, uh, I just want my mind to shut up. If I could just stop thinking, I'd be happy. And um, that's an understandable thought. I had that thought myself many, many times, just shut up. <laughs> Will you just be quiet please <laughs> um and we have that idea that oh well if i could just stop thinking then i'd be happy because we associate this constant stream of conceptual proliferation as a as a burden as a kind of brain disease but uh, uh as Ajahn cha would often point out uh, you know say you know these chickens there's, there's a lot of wild chickens in the forest that uh, what about pong and they sometimes be um, gathered around or, or sitting nesting nearby and he'd say you know, these chickens don't have a lot of thoughts going through their brains but they're not arahants <laughs> you know, a chicken uh, one can sit on its nest for days and days but it's, uh, it's not enlightened or a brick you know, or a, a rock you know, it doesn't have any thoughts but it's not, it's not liberated so an absence of, of uh, thought uh, is not liberating in and of itself Concepts are not the problem, the problem is how concepts are used. An arahant still employs concepts, yet without being bound by them. On the other hand, Satipatthana has to be clearly distinguished from mere intellectual reflection. What this part of the refrain indicates is the extent to which concepts and labels are appropriate within the context of insight meditation. This should be kept to an absolute minimum, only, quote, to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. Labelling is not an end in itself, only a means to an end. Once knowledge and awareness are well established, labelling can be dispensed with. And so I think particularly out of some uh, certain meditation traditions where that labelling of experience is is very much emphasised, that it can become quite a a burden. And people feel like, oh, in order to be practicing, it means you should be labeling everything. And if you're not labeling everything, you're not practicing. And um, so I I would say that, uh, as Venerable Anali says here, it's a a misunderstanding and that uh, you keep that naming of experience uh, and uh, labeling of things to a a minimum. And then um, uh, at a, a certain point when mindfulness is clear and uh, enough and continuous and strong enough, then there doesn't need to be that, that specific uh, naming uh, or, or labelling of experience. It's, it, uh, it's, not, um, it's not necessary because of the, of, the, of the clarity of awareness that things are being known with as they arise, as they are, are experienced. The inability of a purely theoretical approach to result in awakening is a recurrent theme in the discourses. To spend one's time intellectually considering the Dhamma and thereby neglecting actual practice clearly meets with the Buddha's disapproval. According to him, one who acts thus cannot be considered a practitioner of the Dhamma but merely as someone caught up in thinking. And uh, uh, Ajahn Chah used that um, um, the the analogy of the um, the the ladle that's in the soup pot. That the the ladle is, is is sitting in the soup, uh, but yet it it doesn't know the flavor of the soup. He said. So in, in one who just uh, approaches the Dhamma or studies the Dhamma from an intellectual perspective, it's like the, the ladle in the soup pot. It's immersed in the soup. But it doesn't know the flavour of it. Or in another um, uh, another instance, when uh, um, uh, when he was here in England in the late 70s, and one of the people who was a very um, keen and committed um, uh, uh, student of Buddhism and a regular um, visitor to the vihara came and. um, and uh, I had lots of questions for Ajahn Chah, and he was struck by how this person had a very, very intellectual approach towards the uh, the, the teaching and practice. And he said, um, "You're like someone who raises chickens, and you don't uh, you, you just collect the uh, the chicken dung rather than collecting the eggs." Uh, I'm not quite sure whether she it's not recorded uh, how she responded to that particular instruction. Uh, but uh hopefully she was able to get the get the uh, get the point and uh there's a appropriate degree of um uh, challenge in that to get her attention so any other questions on on that before we go on to the last section here? Um, one other thing to say about that apostrophizing. Uh, a few uh, few months ago, we had an in- interesting little visit from this group um, called uh, CMC Consciousness, Mindfulness, Compassion, uh, based in Italy, and they did a um, uh, the professor Raffone, Antonino Rafone uh, and his um, associates did a little. Um, uh, a presentation here in the sala about their work doing, um, uh, say, academic studies <laughs> and sort of scientific studies. There. They're neuroscientists and they're psychologists. And one of the interesting, they had a few pictures and, and diagrams and such that they were uh, they were showing on the screen. And uh, one of the interesting pictures was uh, of a brain scan, because nowadays you can scan a brain while it's in different modes of activity. You, you, know, you can sort of, wire people up or, and measure things quite accurately or put, the, put somebody in an mri scanner and say okay now now begin your compassion practice now <laughs> 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 okay now stop and begin your seminar practice now <laughs> and so um but anyway uh, not to make too much fun of it but there was there was one particular uh, uh, very interesting result um, which was showing the um the act uh, uh activity of the brain and areas of the brain that were lit up where uh, where the um there was uh, um say the uh, the indication of where the the bright spots in the brain were was uh, the the uh, degree of, of say stress or agitation or or things were um uh, say uh, in a in a kind of a, uh, an out of balance state. That's how I, I, I understood it to be. And <clears throat> so they they had uh, two pictures of the same brain, and well, the upper uh, picture had lots of areas lit up, and the lower picture had just uh, I think three spots that were lit up and not quite so brightly. Uh, and <clears throat> and they said the instruction that the the, the subject was given. Um, for the upper picture was uh, let your mind just wander and and just let, let it drift and go wherever it likes and and don't try to watch your thoughts just you kind know, of let let your mind drift and and um uh, go wherever it wants to so that was like the the map of the wandering mind, and it was sort of lit up all over the place like kind the, <laughs> uh, and then the lower picture, where they only had like three spots that were lit up, was like the instruction was, now let your mind wander, but watch your mind as it wanders. So to, uh, to sustain a quality of observing as uh, you know, your thoughts and ideas take shape and, and, and uh, evolve, sustain the quality of, of, uh, of observation, and uh, what they call meta-attention, M-E-T-A, one T, meta with one T, meta-attention. And it was, so it was very, uh, it was markedly different, that a wandering mind that is not being watched and a wandering mind that is being watched, it was a very, very different map. And so it was, uh, I think, uh, probably most of us have had that sort of experience in meditation, where you know, there's, there's various thoughts arising and passing away, but the mind can be quite focused and clear and, and, uh, and undisturbed by the, the flow of thoughts. Um, just like the, there's a flow of sound or feeling and, uh, in the body and such like, but uh, it was quite quite marked how um, th- when there was when it was being watched, there was a far greater sense of greater uh, greater quality of integration and and uh, and balance and a la- and a lack of stress and and agitation and when there was no watching, when there wasn't uh, that meta-attention, then that quality of imbalance and agitation was much greater. So The the next section speaks about Sati, as such, is mere awareness of phenomena, without letting the mind stray into thoughts and associations. According to the Satipatthana definition, sati operates in combination with clear knowing, sampajana. This same presence of knowledge also underlies the expression he knows, pajanati, which occurs frequently in the individual Satipatthana contemplations. Thus, to know, or to contemplate, clearly knowing, can be taken to represent the conceptual input needed for taking clear cognizance of the observed phenomena based on mindful observation. So that that meta-attention, that, uh, the, um, uh, the capacity to observe and to know this is what's going on, this is the mind being very busy or this is a pain in my left knee or this is a, a feeling of hunger and such. This recognising aspect inherent in the quality of clear knowing or in the expression he knows, can be further developed and strengthened through the practice of mental noting. It is this knowing quality of the mind that brings about understanding. Thus, while Satipatthana meditation takes place in a silently watchful state of mind, free from intellectualization, it can nevertheless make appropriate use of concepts to the extent needed to further knowledge and awareness. The fact that contemplation undertaken in this manner has the sole purpose of enhancing mindfulness and and understanding points to an important shift away from goal-oriented practice. At this comparatively advanced stage, Satipatthana is practiced for its own sake. With this shift in attitude, the goal and the act of meditation begin to merge into one since awareness and understanding are cultivated for the sake of developing ever more awareness and understanding. The practice of Satipatthana becomes an effortless effort, so to speak, divested of goal orientation and expectation." <clears throat> so I feel he, he uh, phrases that quite uh, quite neatly there. Um, that. The act of med- the the goal and the act of meditation begin to merge into one, since awareness and understanding are cultivated for the sake of developing ever more awareness and understanding. Um, the uh, uh, I think he, he over, from my point of view, I think he overstates um, the um, uh, the say um, the obstructive quality of goal orientation because uh, uh, in a way it's like with concept it's not the it's not the ha- the having of a goal that's the issue it's how the mind relates to that goal that, that's the the, uh, the the key point and um, uh, that uh, even though something like effortless effort or, or um, a um, or um, a, a journey without a goal these are the kind of uh, expressions that are, are often used um, that um, uh, or um, the the gaining mind or being goal oriented can seem t- uh, to be a kind of pejorative uh, has a sort of pejorative quality sounds negative or obstructive uh, i feel it's it's useful to understand that having a goal is not in in and of itself a, a bad thing so and i was referring to the four bases of success i think yesterday chanda virya jitavi yes thank you nick (laughs) i forget what i said when so not being totally mindful all the time Um, but i thought i said it yesterday so there's a little sutta uh, which is very significant in this respect which speaks about uh, desire and the appropriate use of desire so this is one that is uh, very helpful, and it's a dialogue between um, Venerable Ananda and a, a layman called Unaba, and it t- takes place in Kosambi. <clears throat> so uh, uh, Unaba uh, asks uh, Venerable Ananda, For what purpose, Master Ananda, is the holy life lived under the, under the ascetic Gotama? It is for the sake of abandoning desire, Brahmin, that the holy life is lived under the Blessed One. But, Master Ananda, is there a path? Is there a way for the abandoning of this desire? There is a path, Brahmin. There is a way for the abandoning of this desire. But, Master Ananda, what is the path? What is the way for the abandoning of this desire? Here, Brahmin, a develops the basis for, uh, for spiritual power that possesses concentration due to desire and volitional formations of striving. He develops the basis for spiritual power that possesses concentration due to energy, concentration due to mind, and concentration due to investigation, and volitional formations of striving. So that's the, the four idipadas. So um, he develops the idipada, um, the basis of success, um, um, based on desire, chanda, on, uh, on energy, virya, uh, on chitta on mind and thinking uh, and then on, on investigation vimansa. This Brahmin is the path this is the way for the abandoning of this desire. Such being the case master Ananda, the situation is interminable, not terminable. It's impossible that one can abandon desire by means of desire itself. So <coughs> that's extremely useful teaching this. Well then, Brahmin, I will question you about this matter, said Ananda. Answer as you see fit. What do you think, Brahmin? Did you earlier have the desire, I will go to the park? And after you went to the park, did the corresponding desire subside? Yes, sir. Did you earlier arouse the energy, thinking, I will go to the park? And after you went to the park, did the corresponding energy subside? Yes, sir. Did you earlier make up your mind, thinking, I will go to the park? And after you went to the park, did the corresponding resolution, that thought, did it subside? Yes, sir. Did you earlier make an investigation? Shall I go to the park? And after you went to the park, did the corresponding investigation subside? Yes, sir. It's exactly the same, Brahmin, with a bhikkhu who is an arahant, one whose taints are destroyed, who has lived the holy life, done what had to be done and laid down the burden, reached his own goal, Utterly destroyed the fetters of existence and is completely liberated through final knowledge. He earlier had the desire for attainment of arahantship, and when he attained arahantship, the corresponding desire subsided. He earlier had aroused energy for the attainment of arahantship, and when he attained arahantship, the corresponding energy subsided. He earlier had made up his mind to attain arahantship, and when he attained arahantship, the corresponding resolution subsided. He earlier made an investigation for the attainment of arahantship, and when he attained arahantship, the corresponding investigation subsided. What do you think, Brahmin? Such being the case, is the situation terminable or interminable? Does it work or does it not? Surely, Master Ananda, such being the case, the situation is terminable, not interminable. Magnificent, Master Ananda! From today, let Master Ananda remember me as a lay follower who has gone for refuge for life. So uh, as usual, the English is a little bit tortuous, <laughs> not uh, ordinary uh, everyday conversational English, but uh, that I feel is a, is an extremely significant Sutta and spells out how you know we use desire to come to the end of desire, and also it's important that the, the desire uh, of that idipada is called Chanda, and so Chanda can be exercised without the feeling of I and me and mine that's a kind of uh, skillful wishing as uh, sort the of directing and uh, uh, aiming the uh, effort in a certain uh, in a certain explicit uh, pointed way with a with a goal in mind but it's not personalized it's not i am wanting to get that i'm going to gain something i'm going to get there but rather if this pathway is followed then that uh, that place will be reached so that the that the the desire that's the troublemaker is tanha, that's a, which is always associated with a self uh, self-based qualities. So the the uh, chanda can be associated with unwholesome qualities, but uh, can also be associated with, with wholesome. And so that that sometimes there's an idea that all kinds of desire are, are, are a problem, or oh, well, you know, people say to you, you're a Buddhist, you shouldn't have any, you shouldn't desire anything. There's a, a real misrepresentation of the teaching, and that that sutta is a very um, helpful representation of that. So it's it's the um, ooh, it's from the Sangyuta Nikaya, and it's um, I think it's the Idipada Sangyuta. Uh, so it's which is the fi, uh, section fifty-one, sutta number fifteen. So. Uh, sanghuta 51 15, uh, 15 is the reference if you're interested it's here in the the island as well okay let's see if we can finish this off today it is precisely this way of contemplating that in turn enables one to proceed independently quote without clinging to anything in the world unquote Uh, of experience, uh, independently, uh, without clinging to anything in the world of experience, as stipulated in the final part of the refrain. In several discourses, the stipulation, quote, to abide independently, unquote, occurs immediately before realization takes place. This suggests that with this part of the refrain, Satipatthana contemplation gradually builds up to the constellation of mental qualities required the event of awakening. According to the commentaries quote to abide independently unquote refers to the absence of dependency through craving and speculative views while to avoid quote clinging to anything in the world unquote stands for not identifying with any of the five aggregates by letting go of all dependencies and cravings during this advanced level of practice A deepening realization of the empty nature of all phenomena dawns on the meditator. With this state of independence and equipoise, characterized by the absence of any sense of I or mine, the direct path of Satipatthana gradually approaches its culmination. It is in this balanced state of mind, free from I-making or my-making, that the realization of Nibbana can take place. That's the end of that chapter. Any particular questions or things to clarify? Yes? Uh, I was just wondering, when you practice this as a if you're aware of the very pleasant sensations and then maybe unpleasant state of mind, is it best to always just put your attention on it and allow them, and see them, or is it also good to try and use your wisdom to changing perspective, so you're not just spinning in this type of thinking that you know mm-hmm. it's not really you know it's a hindrance mm-hmm. you can be aware of it and just be detached mm-hmm. it or you can also try to change it yeah yeah to as well. yeah you, to to watch something doesn't mean that you have to be passive you can watch your own uh wisdom discovering skillful ways to handle that uh, that situation, that that state. So, it's uh, so another of the the um, common misreadings of of Buddha Dhamma that to be mindful means to to do nothing, to that you know, you're supposed to be like the the, the uh, close circuit TV camera that's just recording data and is not intruding or, or is not. Uh, Say having any impact, but I feel that's a really um, mistaken understanding because that's why I like to use this phrase, unentangled participating, because we are part of what's being observed. You you, you are a participator in what's being observed, and to um, <clears throat> our initiative, our capacity to recognise, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a little less energy would be good here um that's something that we can observe we can that that can be observed uh, and then that the skillful adjustment of of action you have a little less energy a little more energy a, a little uh, this is the time to speak up and all this is the time to be quiet so uh being observant doesn't mean or, or being aware doesn't mean being passive and that uh uh, when you're develop, uh, as we develop the path then you, you find it's more to do with learning how to choose let the act, choice of action and speech come from mindfulness and wisdom and, and watching that rather than oh, i shouldn't do anything you know, because that that kind of not doing is actually a doing <laughs> i would say that's a that is like a false abstraction so it's a if you try to oh don't do anything just just watch just watch just watch, that that very effort to just watch is is in itself a whole set of doing. It's like a a freezing of your own capacity to respond. Like where where your common sense would say it's time to speak up or it's time to to um, take a walk or it's, you know, I don't have to be following this. Uh, I can leave this alone. Um, that it will be skillful to be mindful of that initiative and to be mindful of following that initiative. <laughs> and could sometimes, what you were talking about before, amplifying it actually help to release it, you know? So you're aware, and then like, you start to really look at what you do and look at that yeah. desire and look at the ill will or something. Yeah. And by seeing clearly what it is, it, you'll realise it's so Mm. Yeah, there's all different skillful means that we can that we can use um, to, uh, I say, disentangle from the the content, but also to not create the sort of abstracted uh, observer, but rather to, in a way, take uh, <coughs> to attune to the the way things are, attune to that mind state, to to know it, to not be. Trying to push it away, to to know it, but also to not be identified with it. Okay.